This morning's scripture reading will be taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. That's page 1041 in the Pew Bibles. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. If you are a guest this morning, we are glad that you're here. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's exciting to think that today begins our summer camp, our Bible summer camp for our youth, and over 110 young people have enrolled in that, and uh, probably 20 or more of the adults that are helping with that have already gone down last night. They'll be worshiping together this morning, and they are making preparations for the site there and to welcome the young people when they roll in the buses and vans this afternoon. Let's all be involved in this work. Let's be prayerful about it. Uh, Let's be prayerful every day that spiritual success will take place as a result of these young people investing a week of their life and the many adults that are helping, no doubt will be blessed also and hopefully will be a blessing to the youth. So let's be mindful of that. Let's be encouraging and let's be prayerful about that very, very good work. Singing hymns is such a tradition to us that it might be hard for us to imagine that in Isaac Watts' day, he lived in the latter half of the 1600s and the beginning of the 1700s, that the tradition then was primarily singing only psalms. And so when men like him that loved to write hymns and loved to teach the church hymns, it didn't go over very well. As a matter of fact, there finally began to be a form of a compromise among some of the churches. The idea was in the first part of the worship service, we'll sing psalms. And the last half of the worship service, we will sing hymns. In other words, spiritual songs written by individuals about, obviously, spiritual topics. What would happen in many of the churches is that some would sing during the psalms, but then the last half of the service, they would either get up and walk out, or they would sit in silence as the new songs were being sung. Have you ever thought why some people don't sing? When I look at the song book that I grew up singing out of, this came from the little church that whenever... Years ago, the songbooks were replaced with another songbook. Uh, I asked for a copy of the old ones, and several of the members uh, have the old ones in their homes. And I think back to learning to sing in this book, and I think back in page number eight, we're marching to Zion. And this was a song that Isaac Watts wrote. And if you will notice what was on his mind during that time period especially, Verse 1, come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord. 
join in a song with sweet accord. You see what he's addressing? This was written in 1707. There were many people that would not join in the songs. And so he is singing to others, let's join in a song. If you love the Lord, join in a song. And that fact can't be missed. Look how bold he is in verse 2. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. But children of the heavenly King, but children of the heavenly King may speak their joys abroad, may speak their joys abroad. You see, he didn't want individuals refusing to sing who knew their Lord. He was saying, if there's going to be any that refuse to sing, don't let it be the children of God. Let it be those that are not the children of God. A beautiful plea that we even sing hundreds of years later, 301 years later, we're still singing those words. And we're still singing, if you are a child of God, join in song. But you know, there is a time in the scriptures where a group of individuals said, I can't sing. It was because perhaps the reason they were asked to sing and what they were asked to sing. If you will drop back with me in Psalms 137. Psalm 137. We read a story in the first six verses. It's the time that the small remnant of people had been taken into exile. For 70 years they were being held by the Babylon Empire. And it was during this time that apparently even some of them maybe began to feel more at home in Babylon than they did in Jerusalem. And we see that seeming to be alluded to in the last verse we'll read in verse 6. But notice as we begin reading here, Psalm 137 and verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Now, when it says the rivers of Babylon, it could be the Euphrates as referring to, but since it's written in a plurality there, it's probably talking about the network of canals that brought irrigation to that area, and they would have been treated like slaves. And so they're probably sitting down by some of the canals, and they are remembering their home that they had in Zion, and they are, of course, aware of the fact now of where they are and who they are as slaves. And notice what they did in verse 2. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. See, they no longer had reason to play. For there, those who carried us, see, they carried them into exile, away captive, ask us of a song. And those who plundered us, in the Hebrew, that it literally means they made us howl. That's why some translations say they brought violence upon us. So those that brought violence upon us, requested mirth. Hey, we want you to sing and be happy, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Now, can they do that? They're foreigners. Their holy city, Jerusalem, has been destroyed. They have nothing to rejoice in at this point about Zion. But yet the foreigners say, we've heard that singing before. It must have been strictly out of entertainment value. We want to hear those kind of songs again. Sing us some of those songs about the Zion that you used to sing about. Notice the answer. 
Verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. See, that's why the harp has been hung up in the willow tree. If I do not remember you, talking about God, if I do not remember you, or either talking about the holy city of Jerusalem, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Now notice here. Obviously they refused to sing. Could it be that they understood why they were being asked to sing? You see, the foreigners wanted them to sing because they exalted the beauty of the voice. They had sung in the past because they exalted the holy city of Zion and the king. Which side are you on? You see, there will be some people that say, well, I don't sing because if you heard my voice, you'd understand why I don't sing. So you line up with the foreigners. It's only for entertainment value. We sing because we want to sound good, and if we can't sound good, we're not going to obey God and sing. We sing because we want to entertain others, and if I can't hit every note that everyone else can sing, and I can't be in the entertainment business, I'm just not going to sing at all. Or do you line up with the Israelites, that remnant that says... We're not going to sing right now because you want us to sing for the wrong purpose. And we don't have a song of joy for being slaves in Babylon. You want us to sing about the joy of Zion? We're not experiencing the joy of Zion. Now it is also interesting, as already referred to, notice at the end of verse 6 there, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy... Some have said that some of the remnant had already, by the end of the 70 years, began to love Babylon... Some, according to Ezekiel, were even able to own property. It's believed that some of the Jews were actually very wealthy by the end of the 70 years. And so their strong desire to return back to Jerusalem was waning. And so here, this group of individuals, they continue to exalt the fact that they have not made their home there in that foreign land. You remember, we're just pilgrims and we're just passing through. And so I had to stop and ask myself the question, how much would I want to sing the song about heaven and the song about our pilgrimage if in fact I have settled down and I've made this my home? Maybe that's another reason we have a hard time singing sometime is because it's hard to sing about a land that we're longing to go to when actually we're very comfortable with the home that we have here on earth. But yet, it's interesting to note that there were some traditional problems that even violated scriptures in Isaac Watts' day that caused some not to sing. Here it was their misunderstanding of whether or not it was a time to worship and obey God or if it was a time to simply be entertained by the voices of those around them. But let's go to our text now this morning and notice Ephesians the fifth chapter where It's interesting when we come out of verse 18, 
You remember it's in verse 18 that as we mentioned last week, not to be drunk with wine, but notice the last part, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, so oftentimes when the Scriptures teaches of us being filled with the Spirit, a part of that talk is also around unity and oneness. Now what is it that could bind us together? For example, if you look back in your Bible in the fourth chapter of verse 3, this very same writing, he had just said to them, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so he writes about us being filled with the Spirit. And then there's something that definitely unifies us. And that is in verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to your heart, in your heart to the Lord. Do you notice that the word T-O is used twice there to talk about when we sing? The first part of the verse is speaking to one another. And notice the last part of the voice we sing to the Lord. So let's think about this. Why should we sing? One reason we should sing is because we truly want to nurture one another. Here he says, speak to one another. Now, first we have to cover something that is so basic, you almost feel like you might be wasting time to cover it. But let's make sure that we all agree on this simple point. We do realize we have a responsibility to each other, right? I mean, that's just a giving. The first and greatest commandment, love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule to treat others as you would want them to treat you. Galatians, the sixth chapter, bear ye one another's burdens. James, the second chapter, someone walks in the assembly. It doesn't matter if they're rich or if they're poor and they need a place to sit. You ought to stand up and offer them your seat. We owe it to one another. John, the 13th chapter, Jesus came along and he washed their feet. And then he told them to go out and to do likewise a new commandment that had given to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Friends, we could spend the rest of the day studying scriptures that says we're responsible to each other. We are responsible to serve each other. And the very first place that the Lord begins in singing is He says, you have a responsibility to each other to sing. If you want to nurture each other, and you do have that responsibility, He says, I want you to see the responsibility you have to do that through singing. Look with me, if you will, back in the book of Colossians, the third chapter. You remember Colossians, the third chapter. Uh, The book of Colossians is a sister epistle of Ephesians. In other words, many of the same teachings that are in the book of Ephesians are also in the book of Colossians because he wrote them from the prison cell to these churches probably about the same time. And so when we look in the third chapter in verse 16, he tells us another, uh, using different words of how this speaking can also be translated. We're going to read in Colossians 3 and 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. That's a gift in your heart to the Lord. But you notice the first part of that verse. We want the wisdom of God. We want the words of Christ dwelling in us. Well, how's that going to happen? We have a responsibility to teach each other. We sing to each other 
And in our singing, we teach each other about the words of God and the wisdom of Jesus Christ. When you think about this kind of nurturing, I'd like for you to think about a song that many of you have probably sung all of your life. I think about the song number two in the songbook that I grew up singing out of. I know that my Redeemer lives. I want you to think about just a couple of the things that are taught in this song. That I can speak for myself and say that the church I grew up attending, that that congregation taught me some things in this song, that I knew them in the song long before I ever knew them from the Word of God. For example, when we look at the first verse, I know that my Redeemer lives and ever prays for me. Long before I knew John 17 and 20 that teaches that Jesus prayed for all who would believe on Him, I did not know that verse in the Bible at a young age. But I knew that Jesus prayed for me at a young age because the brothers and sisters in Christ that grew up singing to me taught me that. Notice as we read another verse here, verse 4. I know that over yonder stands a place prepared for me, a home, a house not made with hands, most wonderful to see. Before I knew the details of John 14 and 1, that the Lord has gone and prepared a place for us and He'll come again and receive us into ourselves. before I knew 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter in verse 1, that Jesus is preparing an eternal house, not made with hands, I knew that teaching. I knew that teaching because it had been sung to me over and over and over. I don't know if you've ever gone through this exercise and you won't have time to do it right now unless you just fade out of the sermon and I'd rather you not do that. But on the way to work tomorrow, I'd like for you to just turn off your radio and I'd like for you to just think about the things you know about heaven and how many of those things do you know about heaven because your brothers and sisters in Christ have taught you those things singing to you. How many things do you know about Judgment Day? And you've learned those things maybe first because brothers and sisters in Christ sang those facts to you. How much do you know about God? How much do you know about hope? How much do you know about trials and overcoming those? Friends, we could go on and on and on. And if you stop and think about it, so much of what we know about those things, a part of our foundation of understanding is... We were taught those things in song. Let me give you just a few examples that could be multiplied with every youth that is a part of this congregation, I would suppose. Ethan Chris is three and a half years old. Now, when he was 18 years old, one of his favorite songs, stories, was David and Goliath. Now, his grandmother Donna has sung with him about the only little boy, David, hundreds and hundreds of times. 
Now, sometime he even gets to be David and she gets to be Goliath. That's kind of appropriate, isn't it? I want you to fast forward, Lord willing, time and life. I want you to fast forward 50 years from now. Ethan will be 53 years old. Do you think he'll remember the story of David and Goliath? There's no doubt. Do you think he'll remember the story because it was read in scriptures? Maybe. Do you think he'll remember the story because it was taught to him in song? Most definitely. Love like an ocean. Andrew sings with the young children on Sunday night. If you don't have your your youngsters here on Sunday night, 15 minutes before the evening worship, it's a wonderful time for the children to be taught in various ways. And one of the ways that they're taught is in song. The last year, year and a half, one of his favorite songs, that is Ethan, one of his favorite songs has been Amazing Grace. Do you think Ethan knows all the scriptures that deal with God's amazing grace? Probably not, but one of these days he'll probably learn them. But you see, what he learns in the scriptures will be built on the foundation that has already been sung, already appreciated, and to some degree already understood. We could talk about in the Mann family how Courtney and Sidney and their family, one of their regular songs is, I'll Fly Away. Do you think those young ladies are going to think differently about death when hundreds of times they've sung some glad morning? Oh, it's going to be a different thought for them. Because they've been taught in song that flying away with the Lord is a wonderful thing. Or finally, I think about the message that was passed on to me even early this morning. About after Jamie and Rachel's wedding last night at at home, Michaela and Jameson Keff, eight and four, they were singing someday just among themselves. You think they're going to have a greater understanding of judgment and the peace that comes with God after judgment because a church family has taught them how wonderful that someday is going to be. And Michaela still goes around the house singing majesty. Friends, someone might shrug their shoulders and say, why sing? Listen to God. God would say, sing because you care for others. It's not just children that are learning these things. Every one of us probably have sat in this very room and we've sung a song maybe just in this morning or maybe the last week or two, that when we sung a phrase and we heard our brothers and sisters teaching us that phrase, maybe we've said to ourselves, I have never noticed that phrase in that song before. I have never thought about that teaching in that way. How did we learn it? Our brothers and sisters cared enough to sing. 
I'd like, before we leave this point of nurturing, to go back to our text in Ephesians 5 and 19. And I'd like for you to notice that third bullet. Singing draws us together. We've already mentioned the unity. If you want to back up in your Bible to Ephesians, the second chapter, notice again in Ephesians 2, beginning uh, verse 19, tells us that we're no longer strangers or foreigners. Remember what we started out with this morning in Psalms 137? Remember how in Psalms 137, those individuals were foreigners in that land and they didn't want to sing about Zion because they were foreigners in that land. But notice now, we're no longer strangers or foreigners. We're part of the household of God, verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Notice this, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. What's the emphasis in these verses? Well, there's several things. We're building on the right foundation, but did you see how twice he talks about building together? And what are we building together? We're building a place for the Holy Spirit to dwell. So oftentimes when the topic is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us or us having built a congregation, a church that the Holy Spirit can dwell in, unity is a part of it. What does singing do? When we all join in together in song, we are saying we all collectively believe this. We all collectively sing this song. We all collectively teach this. We all collectively love God. We worship God. We sometimes sing the song, Lord, bind us together. Lord, bind us together. Do you realize that a part of the cords or the chains that binds us together in the blood of Jesus Christ is singing? It's a command of God that He gives for our benefit, our blessing, that it draws us together. We're singing to each other together. But I'd like for you to notice that Ephesians 5 and 19, that last two. As you go back to the text, notice that last two as it is to the Lord. See, we, we've talked about the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody or singing in your heart. Notice this, to the Lord. You know, in, in Isaiah, the sixth chapter, we have the vision that Isaiah saw there and recorded. And the Lord is on a throne, high and lifted up. And all of the focus in that vision is upon the Lord. And, and the seraphims, they're, they're saying songs of, or, song, or, or words of praise. They're, they're saying, holy, holy, holy. And, and Isaiah is focused on the Lord. Everything about that scene is on the Lord. If I ask you to define worship, what would you say? I'm not asking you how you worship. You know, we so oftentimes concentrate on the five acts of worship, which is a great study. But sometimes we think that that is worship and it is how God wants us to worship. But right now, if I said, what is worship? What would be your definition? Worship is to pour out adoration to God. It is as if we are bowing down in humility. It's like a dog crouching before the feet of its master. And so in worship, we are coming to God and we're bowing down. And you notice that passage in Colossians 3.16 we read just a moment ago? It said that we had grace in our hearts to the Lord. The word grace means gift. We have gift in our heart. 
We have a gift in our heart that we're bowing down before God. What is that gift? It's a gift of adoration. Lord, I adore you. I've been adoring you all week. And now I come together on Sunday with all my other brothers and sisters and we have come together to collectively pour out our adoration to you. Now, Lord, how do you want me to pour out my adoration to you? And he says, I want you to sing to me. That really is powerful when we think about how important it is not only to sing to the Lord, but what the Lord asks us. If you would, drop back in your Bible to 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. In 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, he gives us a teaching in verse 15 about prayer and about song. And he says, what is the conclusion this? This is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit. Notice that's a lowercase s. He's talking about with our spirit, with all of our being. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. We're going to sing with all of our being, not just our vocal cords. We're going to sing with our heart. We're going to sing with our mind. Notice now he says, I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding. God wants us to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to Him. And then he tells us how he wants us to do that. He wants us to understand what we are singing. He wants us to understand why we are singing these. I'd like for you to look back with me in Psalms 101, and I'm going to read verse 1, and then I'm going to drop down to 108 and read verse 1 again of that. Notice in Psalm 101, he says, I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord, I will sing praise. You notice there the psalm says, I'm going to sing to you. And when we go over to Psalm 108, notice how again the emphasis is, I'm going to sing to you. And notice how in Psalm 108, the steadfast heart, the heart that is set upon God, notice how it's revealed here. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Why sing? We sing to nurture others. We sing to worship God because we have a gift in our heart that God has asked us to give Him through song. But then finally this morning and very quickly this morning, I'd like for you to look back to verse 20 of our text, Ephesians 5 and verse 20. And he says, notice at the end of 19 is a comma. He's, he's still talking about singing. And he says, giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can give thanks in prayer and that would be a, a, a possible and, and even maybe probable application here. But the context right here is being filled with the Spirit of God. And because of that, we're going to sing. We're going to sing to nurture each other. We're going to sing to worship God. And so often in the Scriptures, gratitude is a part of singing. And singing is a part of gratitude. So then the question is, why sing? Because we're thankful to God. You are thankful to God, right? You're thankful to God in all things. It's not that everything is good, but we can find reason to be thankful in all things. And that's the teaching there in verse 20. I'd like for you to drop back with me in Psalm 100. In Psalm 100, notice how in verse 2 he says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Now I'm going to go ahead and drop down to verse 4. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Now, how are we coming before Him? In song. And now we come before Him in thanksgiving and into His courts with 
praise, be thankful to him and bless his name. Well, what is there to be thankful for? Look at verse 3 and 4. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture enter into his gates with thanksgiving. God made us. Give thanks for it. God sustains us day after day, just like a shepherd sustains the sheep. Give thanks for it. Giving thanks to God in song has been a part of man's response to God for thousands of years. Someone says, why sing? Sing because we love others. And God tells us that's the way we nurture each other. Sing because that's the way God says to worship Him. Sing with understanding. Sing with a heart that adores Him. Sing because we're thankful. God has done so much for us. God's probably done more for us than what we can ever even imagine. And there's so much waiting for us in eternity. And the question is, have my... Has my heart of gratitude spilt over into my songs? Friends, if you flip these over and look at them from a negative side, it really is pretty ugly. Why do some not sing? They don't care about others. They don't care if children learn. They don't care if their brothers and sisters in Christ learn. They don't worship God. Oh, they may attend a worship service, but they don't worship because no one can worship for you. No one can sing for you. And singing is a part of worshiping God. And then finally, maybe they're just not grateful. You can't hush a heart that is grateful to God. Singing will come out. It may only be a joyful noise. It may not sound like a choir. But if you'll look from cover to cover, you'll find out that God's not concerned with that at all. God's concerned with how we are concerned about others and Him and grateful. This morning... I want to encourage you. Let's hold our feet to the fire and let's make sure that we don't sing out of habit. And that we don't sing because we love to sing. But let's make sure that we sing because we love others. We love God. We have so much to be grateful for. Are you a child of God? That's the greatest invitation that can be offered. It's the Lord saying, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of sins, won't you do that this morning? Maybe you've done that in the past and have strayed away from it. What a delightful song we can sing about in thanksgiving. An individual leaves here this morning giving their life back to God. If we can help you in any way, comes we stand and as we sing.